We are going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. So if you would go ahead and turn there at this time, John chapter 1. And Father, we pray now as we open the Scriptures that you would enlighten us, inspire us, and by the Holy Spirit teach us these Scriptures as we enter into the season of anticipation of as we're thinking about the Christ child coming. God, I pray even this morning, there would just be this sense of anticipation of what you want to do and how you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today uh, we are uh, doing two things simultaneously, which I am excited about both of which. We are starting our Advent series, which this Sunday marks the first Sunday of the four Sundays or four weeks of Advent. And uh, we're going to do an Advent series simply called Prepare the Way. And uh, excited about that, but we're simultaneously also beginning a journey through the Gospel of John, which will take us several months to get through. So Advent series and Gospel of John all happening right here, right now. Boom. So hope you're excited. Um, so that said, you're going to notice um, we are putting out an Advent calendar for this, this time of year. Um, there's readings for every day of Advent. Um, you can pick up a hard copy calendar at the info desk if you need that, but there's also going to be some copies uh, at EmmausRDU.com Advent 2017, and you can access that right through the website. Um, so follow along, but you're going to notice that the readings are really centered around um, John the Baptist and his role and somebody called John the Baptist the first practitioner of Advent. He was the ultimate pointer to Jesus. He was even doing that when he was in utero. Remember that? When Mary announced that she was impregnated with the Christ child, John jumped in his mom Elizabeth's womb. So, I mean, he's a hype man for Jesus. And so um, what we're just going to ask you to do over this next season is, is read the passages and just allow the Lord to speak to you through John's life as he was celebrating and looking forward to the coming Christ child. So you're in John chapter 1, is that right? Yes. We are going to start reading, and we're only going to get through five verses this morning because they are thick, weighty, and packed. It Literally, I was thinking, I could do like five sermons out of this, just five verses, and I think you'll see why as we read them. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word... That Greek word is logos. That's a whole couple of weeks sermon just on the logos. And the word was with God. So now whoever this one is, the word Jesus, is not only, well, we'll see God, but he is with God. He's distinct from God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word what? Was God identified as God and with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So now he's given credit for the creative act. At the beginning, with God, is God creating all things as God. In him, verse 4, this is great, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. That is big time stuff right there. One of the things I love about Christmas time is it really helps us 
prepare our minds and hearts for Advent because Advent is an anticipation for the coming one. The word Advent, the, the Latin word Adventus, just means coming. And during Christmas time, for all y'all who have kids or were a kid, um, you know that Christmas time, depending on the household you grew up, comes with certain traditions. At our house, we do Secret Santa. Um, and that being, basically, you pick a name out of the hat because we got six people in our house. We're not buying for everybody. Well, me and Shannon are, but the kids aren't. Um, we draw a name out. You get that one person, and it's your job to bless them. So with that comes the writing of the Christmas list. And, uh, you know, our kids, they take this time real seriously. And it's thinking, 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 what do I really want? So writing these long lists, you know, and, and then they sort of present them to you. And, and, and as those lists are presented, what's happening is there's an anticipation of what's coming. They, they have an idea, unless what they wrote on their list was totally unreasonable, that they're probably going to get most of, at least a, a, a portion of what's on their list. So, but you know, as a parent, the, the great joy and art of giving is to give your kids something that's not on their list that, that brings joy to their heart that they weren't expecting. Did, any parents ever done that? Just pulled a full on ninja move on your kid? It wasn't even on the list, but this is the best thing ever. It, it, there is nothing more fun than giving the gift that just shocks and blesses the heart of your kid. I had one of those gift giving moments as a dad. It was actually for our son Silas's 15th birthday, not Christmas. Um, but it was the, the birthday that we decided we were going to bite the bullet and get him a dog. He'd been longing for a dog for his whole life, you know, and just praying for a dog. And so on his 15th birthday, we, Shannon and I, had decided to not just get him a dog, but like a big dog, <laughs> a Great Dane dog. So, you know, he's like a horse now living at our house. We did not realize, and we should have, but, uh, but the, the best part of getting this dog was, was the setup for it. And so um, I, having a little bit of creativity, not a lot, but a little, decided that we weren't just going to go let him pick out a dog. We were going to like experience this moment. And so I wrote a series of riddles that he had to solve in order to get to the next step. And so it started in our kitchen. And all he knew was he needed to get ready for some kind of adventure. He didn't know what. He didn't know how. It was, it was all mysterious. And, and so he, riddle by riddle, he starts in the kitchen. We end up at Chipotle eating a burrito. And then all these different steps along the way until finally, like, I, he's out in the middle of Jamestown, North Carolina. No idea why he's there. And I just pull off, like, next to some big pasture land. And I'm like, all right, it's time for the final clue. And he opens up the final clue, and it basically, you know, some poem, and he has to look under a seat. So he looks under a seat, and there's a, 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 a gift. He unwraps it, and it is a dog book on how to pick and train a Great Dane. And literally, we're like a mile from the place where to go get his dog, and then he figures it out. I'm getting a dog? And I actually have it on video. I was tempted to show up, but Silas said, don't shame me like that, Father. <laughs> Because I literally have never seen that little boy come back out of him like that moment. It was like, I pulled it off, Shannon and I pulled it off the best we ever have pulled anything off. And so much joy was in the moment where he got to go pick his dog and take it home. And uh, that was the last time I found joy in being a dog owner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
you parents know how that is, right? Chris Kenny, where's Chris? They just got a dog, and uh, the most exciting day is getting the dog, and the next day is burying the dog. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. We love our dog. We love our dog. <laughs> okay, so during these four weeks of Advent, though, um, we're going to be answering the question that Advent asks. And Advent, again, as I said, it just, it's this Latin word Adventus, it's coming. The question that Advent asks is, who is coming? What is he like? How is it going to be? What is this one who we are waiting for going to be like? And when the ancient church fathers talked about Advent, they talked about our anticipation for the coming Christ in three ways. We anticipate the coming Christ and the birth of the Christ in Bethlehem, his second coming in glory, but also the coming of the Christ daily in our hearts. And I thought, how profound that is. Because we're living on the other side of the first advent. Jesus has come, and, and we're living between he has come and he's coming. So we're anticipating the returning Christ. We're living after his first arrival, and yet we anticipate daily his arrival in our hearts. So we want to talk this Advent time, especially using John, the gospel writer, to help us understand who is coming and what is he like? What can we expect? But um, Carlos was actually mentioning how ironic it was that I picked the gospel of John to do for Advent. And he goes, Brian, that is the gospel that doesn't even have a nativity scene. There's no virgin being impregnated by the Holy Spirit. There's no young couple in a cave with farm animals giving birth to a child. There is no magi. There are no shepherds being greeted by angels and, and brought to this cave where the Christ child would be born. But what John does, unlike Matthew and Luke, who include the, the, the nativity story, is John takes us further back than even that. And, and if you've noticed this or if you've ever thought this through studying the Gospel of John, John begins his Gospel with the same three words that the Bible begins with. In the beginning. So that's before Jesus was born, before the world was formed, before there was a world, there was a word. And the word was God. The word was with God. And so if you would, we're going far behind the scenes to look at the, 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 the beginning of the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And actually, if you Bible scholars and studiers have noticed, the Bible actually speaks of three beginnings. And in chronological order, John 1 1 is the first one. In the beginning was the Word. The next is Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created. And then the third beginning is Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So when you think about the scriptures, there are three beginnings. The beginning of the beginning, in the beginning was the word, the beginning of the world, and then the beginning of the gospel. And actually, Timothy Keller calls John 1, 1, insight into the private life of God. You know, like there's all these shows that you kind of get to see behind the scenes of the rich and famous. And so, so John 1.1 1, 1 is sort of a peer behind the scenes. What was it like before there was a world? Well, before there was a world, there was a word. And that was, he was, this word, the embodied word was God. He was with God. He was God. And therefore, we were introduced to this powerful concept 
in the Greek, which is the logos. And again, we're not going to be able to get into that today to unpack it, but I may do a whole talk on just the logos and what that meant in, in the Greek mind when this word comes out that Jesus is the word who was with God, who was God, who was creator. Um, but basically, we're living, if you're not aware of this, in a world that is very confused about Jesus. He's very popular. Jesus is still popular. As that old song, Jesus is still all right with me. He's popular, but people are confused about who is Jesus? Everyone's got a theory. Uh, Islam holds that Jesus was a prophet from God. They give him a high place, but not the place of the divine. Judaism, surprisingly, though their religious leaders crucified the Christ, even the Jewish writings during the first and second century said a lot of positive things about Jesus. He was viewed as a respected teacher, a miracle worker, yet he was not divine, virgin-born, or risen from the dead. Hinduism and the Hindu faith, they hold that Jesus is a holy man, a wise teacher, a perfect example of self-realization, which is the whole aim and goal of Hinduism, that is dharma, to, to self-actualize. And, and he, Jesus, in the Hindu faith, is actually one of the multiplicity of gods that the Hindu peoples worship. Buddhists hold that Jesus was an enlightened teacher but he was not divine. And it's notable that every major world religion acknowledges Jesus. Now, they don't all say the right thing about him. The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons don't have it right about Jesus. The Buddhists and the Hindus and the, the, the Muslims and those in Judaism, they don't have it right about Jesus, but they all include him. And, and actually, even atheists, every thinking person alive, every thinking person, acknowledges the historic importance of Jesus Christ. On every list of every thinking people, person, Jesus is on the top five of influential peoples that have ever lived. Now the issue is, we don't know what to do with him all the time. Who is he? And John says, I know who he is and I can declare it and I will say it definitively. But here's the thing I love about Jesus. He's not going away. He's never going away, and he's actually coming back in physicality. But until then, we can't get rid of him. Every major world religion, every thinking person is troubled about Jesus or thinking about Jesus because historically and religiously, he made such an impact. And so John comes on the scene to declare to us who this Jesus is. And he actually tells us this was the reason that he wrote his gospel. You know, John, the apostle was a very fascinating guy. Um, he was, a lot of times was he, he's depicted in the artwork, the Byzantine art or some of the ancient art. He's, he always looks like feminine. He's the one that looks like a girl. Um, very young. And he called himself repeatedly the disciple that Jesus loved. That's how he self-identified. Um, I'm the one that Jesus loved. That's what I used to tell my sister. I'm the, I'm the child that, Jesus, that my mom loved. Um, um, so that was, that was John's identity. And, and he writes, he's the latest gospel. So he wrote the last. He, he's way behind the others. He wrote in like 80, 90. Um, and, and he tells us, this is why I wrote my gospel. Chapter 20, verse 31. Just jot that down. Notice John says, these are written, what I just wrote to you, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
And I don't know if you've been around uh, evangelical circles a lot, but when I was first starting to follow Jesus, I remember going street witnessing with a friend of mine named Big Mike. They just called him Big Mike because he was big. Six foot three, 300 and some pounds. Um, big hair, big booming voice. Total, total televangelist looking dude, um, rad guy. Um, and we'd go out there and street witness and show the gospel to people. And Big Mike, every time he would convert somebody, which he did a lot, um, he would tell them to read the gospel of John. And as a new Christian, I'm like, why are you always telling them to read the gospel of John? Why not Genesis? Why not Matthew? Why not Romans? And he said, because Brian, John tells us that he wrote his gospel to the world so that they would know who Jesus is. And so if you're around people that are confused about Jesus, I would say simply, if they're serious doubters, skeptics, seekers, challenge them just to read the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John, and John tells us that the Spirit inspired him to write it so that the world may know who Jesus is. You know what's interesting, though? I think for a lot of us, how many of you already believe, follow, and love Jesus? Okay, I know most of you. Um, so for most of us, we would think, well, this is a gospel for people that don't believe in Jesus. But I love what John Piper had to say about John's gospel and its necessity for all of us. This is what John Piper says. He says, believers on Jesus must go on believing in Jesus in order to be saved in the end. Jesus said, John 15, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And in John 8, 31, he said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples, truly. So when John says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, he meant that he was writing to awaken faith in unbelievers, and this is for us, everyone who raised their hand, and to sustain faith in believers, and in that way, lead both of us, believer and unbeliever, to eternal life. There may be no better book in the Bible to help you keep on trusting and treasuring Christ above all. How many of you know that Jesus isn't the beginning, but he's the whole thing? That, that you don't just come to faith in Jesus, but you have to sustain that relationship with Jesus. And, and I use this analogy because I think, I think it might be helpful to think about your state as an unbeliever, believer, and then long-time believer. Because we go through these phases, right? First, we weren't believing. Then we were new. We really needed to learn about Jesus then. And, and for some of us, we've been walking with Jesus for decades. And guess what? You need him now as much as you did back then. And, and I talk about this in the terms of my relationship with my wife. Because at first, she wasn't a believer, she just wasn't. She, wasn't. she was not interested in me. She was a believer in Jesus, but not in me. <laughs> so I didn't catch her right away. And then she went to from not interested to interested, and now she's at the stage of trying to stay interested, right? <laughs> I mean, when she first met me, you know, I mean, mind you, I had really long hair and a sweet mustache, and... Uh, Looked like Aaron Thomas's brother. Um, was driving a '79 Chevy Impala, wearing velour shirts, and she was just not interested in that vibe. Um, I don't know why. She just didn't fully. She had misunderstood me. I, I. She hadn't fully realized. But then I cut my hair, bought a Ford Escort, enrolled in Bible school, and she became interested. 
But now I'm like, I'm almost 40. We've been together for like 20 years. We have four kids and we're church planting. And so now her effort is to stay interested, right? Um, she got interested after I cleaned up a little bit. And now after these many years, she's continuing to say, it's still important that I stay interested, that you continue, that we continue to in, invest in one another, to connect with one another, to stay red hot on fire for each other. And, and that is true in your relationship with Jesus. John, his aim is to help us have a red hot passion for Jesus, even those of us who have known him for a long time, because it's more dangerous to be in the faith for a long time than it is when you're new. When you're new, everything is fresh. Jesus has just renewed your heart. You're excited. But as the decades and years go on, stuff starts to stack up on your soul and you need a refresher. And so John comes to us to help us in our relationship with Jesus, to reinforce and awaken and deepen our affection for him. Amen? But this morning, to address this Advent hope, there's so much we could say in the first five verses. It, I hope you saw that. I hope when you're reading those first five verses, you just felt the weighty, kabod, thick theology in it. You're like, man, you could spend a lot of time unpacking this. But for, for this morning, for the sake of this morning, I simply want us to look at verses four and five and draw out two things as we attempt to answer this Advent question. One is coming. Who is he? What is he like? John tells us that in him was life. And in him was the life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shone into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Isn't that, the, isn't that a beautiful statement? So we want to just simply gaze on the beauty of Jesus as our life and Jesus as our light. The life and the light. So when we talk about this word life, don't cheapen the word. It's a very important word in the original language. When it means life, it's talking about the principle of life or everything that is life, all life. And the Greek word is zoe, Zoe life, like the woman that Alex is married to. And there's a yogurt brand named Zoe. Um, the word Zoe is the, the Greek word life, and it means vitality, the absolute fullness of life, vibrant, active. So it's physical, spiritual, emotional life, vibrant life. Everything that it means to be alive is what Jesus is. Not just biological life, but all that is life. Zoe life. The fullness of vibrant life. So some of you could honestly be said, you're alive, like your heart beats, you breathe, you're here, but you're not alive. You're not living. You, you found this place where dullness has set in, where you wouldn't describe your life as vibrant and joyful and, and, and full of health and vitality. And Jesus has come to breathe life into your life. God hasn't called us to just exist. He came that we might have life and that what? More abundantly. And so how many know that we sometimes we need a little bit more life in our life, right? I don't want to just be living, breathing air, taking up space, consuming. But I want to be alive in the Zoe form of life, the, the kind of life that Jesus says, he was the one who came and he was the life and this life was the light of all mankind. The kind of life that, that when you get up in the morning, you go, yes, there's a reason. 
So when you think of that meal, that food and that drink that you had that, that brought so much joy and gladness of heart, that is what Jesus brings. That beautiful day, that laughter, that friendship, all the things that sparkle and pop in life, that feeling of I'm, I've arrived, I'm, I'm doing what I was made by God to do in worship and serving and doing and living, all of that is this Zoe life. And so don't be satisfied with the life that you're currently in if you couldn't describe it as Zoe life. If you're not living in Zoe life, Jesus has said, I've come to give you that. I am that. Actually, the Bible says something, one of the most fascinating things it says about Jesus. It says, because you loved righteousness and hated iniquity, Hebrews chapter one, I believe, your God has anointed you, I love this, with the oil of gladness above your fellows. So when you think of Jesus, don't think of him as that gaunt, pale figure that's in some of our artwork, you know, just all serious. Uh, my, one of my favorite drawings, paintings of Jesus is one where he's laughing. Anybody ever seen that one? Um, I just, I appreciate the, the, the thought that when you think about Jesus, think about the gladdest man who ever lived, anointed with the oil of gladness ab above everybody else. So of all the things you can think about Jesus, think he had life. I would have loved to have just hung out with him, not because of his teaching and his healing ministry, yes, but because of his jokes and his humor and the sense of vitality that Jesus brought to everything. And so John says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. But then notice he also then attributes to Jesus the fact that he was the light of all mankind. That the light shines into the darkness and what? The darkness does not overcome it. Jesus is the light in our darkness. Now, light is a metaphor. I'm not talking so much physical light. But when the Bible uses the term light... It's talking about intellectual light, spiritual light, emotional light, the light in the soul, where, where truth and illumination happens. Jesus is attributed to being the one who gives light, clarity. We would might say truth over lies, good over evil, light over darkness, and the darkness has not overcome the light. The darkness cannot overcome the light. The light is the stronger force. But we have these two metaphors being drawn out here. There is light and there is darkness. There is darkness. And darkness, the metaphor of darkness is all that is evil and unbelieving and all that, that brings death. Because later John would write about light and dark saying this. This is very convicting. John 3 verse 19. This is the judgment that light has come into the world in Jesus Light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now John tells us light overcomes darkness. There's an old school preacher named F.F. Bruce, Scottish preacher, a scholar, who wrote this a generation ago about John chapter one, verse five. Just listen. F.F. Bruce says, in the first creation... Darkness was upon the face of the deep. We're talking about physical creation. There was darkness there, Genesis 1, verse 2, until God called light into being. So the new creation involves the banishing of spiritual darkness by the light which shines in the world. I love that. 
He contrasts what happened in Genesis 1 and what happened in John 1 and said, this was physical, this was spiritual. God is working on those two frontiers. When God created, he created into darkness and brought light. When God came to do what is spiritual, he came into darkness and brought light. And I just have had this sense over the last couple of weeks especially that we're in a prophetic season of overcoming the darkness as a church community. To observe our community on a surface level, you may not observe some of the darkness. But there has been some darkness in people's hearts. And we're in a season of facing the darkness, calling out that there is darkness. Not to pretend anymore that some of us alone in the deep parts of our soul aren't dealing with dark things. And, and what has happened is we've awakened something. We've, we have stirred to the top what has been happening underneath the surface, and that is there is darkness. But then we have called in light. We've called in Jesus to be our light to overcome darkness. And, and I just have this sense that, that the Lord has been speaking to me that this is a season of dealing with the darkness, relentlessly dealing with the darkness. In other words, I'm gonna keep on fighting for it with you until it's done. So you may be like, Brian, quit beating the dead horse. Well, when the horse is dead, that when the darkness is done, but it's not yet. And here's the this, here's this sense that I got from the Lord, that, that he told me that, that we're gonna be dealing with darkness as a church community, but not darkness externally in society until we deal with the darkness that's internal and personal. The Spirit whispered to me, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna work with you out but I'm gonna start working with you in. We've got, we've got, judgment must begin at the house of God. And so God wants to make us healthy. I think we heard that last week as we took that time to listen at the end. The, the, the overriding sense I got from all of the listening we were doing to the Lord is that God is raising up a healthy, vital, Zoe life community. But until we're in Zoe life, I don't want us going out there until we first experience healing in here. And so say, oh, don't let our church turn inward. We've got to go inward before we go outward. Jesus called them to him so that he could send them out from the him. It's more important that you come to Jesus because you go out into that world, you are going to get your clock cleaned. You will be the seven sons of Sceva, right? We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. The demon said, Jesus, we know. Paul, we know. Who are you? And then this one man jumped on seven dudes and whooped them and stripped them naked and sent them off running, Right? The darkness out there is going to be there and we'll face it in full force when we have dealt with the darkness that's in here. So I'm, I've done something that I've never done before. As I was getting ready for this and just kind of sensing like this, having this, I don't know, I don't know how else to word it. I have a sense of what God is doing. Part of it is because I've been talking to some of y'all and I, there's some, been some pretty outrageous stories um, of, of people fighting against darkness and, and having victory, mind you. There's been victory in the camp, y'all. It has not all been just facing darkness. But as I was just pondering, God, what are you saying? Like, I don't want this just to be another Sunday in our Advent series, but I feel like we're in a prophetic moment. And when you're in a prophetic moment, you have to fully lean in and say, God, I'm willing to pitch everything for this prophetic moment. Because if you're speaking to your church, then it's worth pushing the pause button on your little agenda 
And so I just, I found myself, I pushed my lab, Saturday mornings up early, just kind of writing the sermon, and I pushed my Bible and my theology books to the side, and, and I just grabbed my notebook and I just started writing. And as I started writing, God just gave me a prophetic word to share with Emmaus. So I've written it down. I'm going to read it to you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, though. I'm going to ask you to listen for the voice of the Father. And I'm going to ask you to listen for yourself. And then I'm going to ask you to listen for others. And I'm going to ask you to listen for the, for the Emmaus community as a whole. And I want you to ask the Father if what you're hearing is ringing true in your soul. If God is saying something through this. So I'm just going to read it. And I'm just going to ask you right now, those of you who follow the way of Jesus, to just go, okay, Father, if you're using Brian right now, who wrote something to read over us, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to hear what you might have to say. So I'm just going to read it to you and ask you to be praying and listening to the Father's voice. The image I see is of a large old log house from 200 years ago, long before houses had electricity in them. The importance of this detail will come into focus as the story unfolds. This house is dark inside. The oil lamps are off. The fire has gone out. The curtains have been drawn. And the persons inside have become accustomed to living in the darkness. And in some ways are unaware of the darkness they're living in. The idea here is they're comfortable living like this. But something is happening. There's a great stirring happening. And it's no longer night. It's actually a beautiful day. The birds are singing. The sky is blue. The sun is bright. The air clean and crisp. A perfect 70 degrees. But the house is still dark. What I sense the Spirit say is at some point, night fell on the house. Something happened. And as you would in any house, when night falls, you close the curtains, you turn off the lamps, and you let the fire go out. And that was okay for the night, but you never woke up to the new day. The night has passed. The day is beautiful and bright, but you are living in an extended night. The house is dark and cold, but it doesn't need to be that way any longer. Father is asking you to let him in, to pull the curtains and open the windows to let light and clean air flood the darkened house. There is God's part and there is your part. He has come in glorious light that overcomes darkness. But now you must choose to let him in and stop loving your own darkness. You've become comfortable in a dark mindset and dark behavior patterns. The time has come to open the curtains and receive God's light. But here is the warning and challenge to the Emmaus community about this. Some here have taken the first steps to letting the light in. You've drawn the curtains and opened the windows in the living room. But the house is large and has many rooms, and there are still dark rooms that need the curtains drawn and the windows opened. 
Don't stop until the whole house is filled with light and clean air. The house must start by receiving the light from the outside and let it flood in. But once the curtains have been opened and light has filled the house, then you can begin to find the oil lamps and the wood stove to have an internal source of light and warmth. Father is showing us that we may that the way we discover our inner light is by first receiving the external light, which will reveal the light within. So here is a warning to heed. The night will fall again. Darkness will come. We will have trials and difficult times as long as we are in these bodies, but never again will the, night, the light and warmth inside be put out. There will always be lamps burning and a fire going within. There will be no more extended night and the nights will be shorter and the days will be brighter. We are coming into a season of victory and sustained joy. I think that the Lord has some of us to identify that this is the journey that we are on, that you are on personally. And I do think that there are prophetic moments where the Lord wants us as a community to help you draw the curtains, to be outside and, and, and to, to announce to you, it's a beautiful day. Don't let yourself be consumed in this darkness. And we've seen people begin to have layers of victory, but sometimes it comes in layers, in rooms, in darkened corners, where predominantly there may be light in the living space, but there are places of resistance. And I think the Lord wants us to pray for people this morning who would acknowledge, I need to open the curtains and let the light in. I've been living in my own version of an extended night and it should not be this way anymore. So I'm going to ask us to do something very brave. Especially in a smaller room without the hiddenness of the theater that we sometimes embrace. But I'm going to ask for those of you who God is speaking to, to stand. And so you might be saying, well, why would I need to stand up publicly? Can I deal with this curtain drawing personally? Yeah, you can, but not today. There's some times when Jesus healed, he would do it with the person one-on-one and just send them away and say, don't tell anybody what I did. And then they'd go tell everybody. Then he tells us, go tell everybody, and we won't tell anybody, right? It's just... There are times, though, that Jesus would, would, would pull someone out of a crowd. Like he'd come into a synagogue and, and say, you, back there with the withered hand, come here. In front of everybody. You, don't, Jesus, don't call me out. I'm calling you out today. You can't stay hidden forever. There are, times when, there are times when faith must declare itself. When if you believe before you've received the full orb of light and deliverance that God is actually calling you, today is a day for faith to declare itself. And to realize that your deliverance and healing isn't just for you. You are a part of something bigger than yourself. And if you always view your life as a life lived for me, 
You don't realize that there are people that are going to be helped by the light that God brings into your life, and you will be a standing testimony and give hope to those living in darkness by you boldly declaring that you are ready to receive the light of Jesus into the darkened rooms of your heart and life. But the biggest reason of all, I believe the Spirit spoke to me about this, is that there are times when we need to communally give praise to God. Psalm 105 simply says, Give praise to the Lord. Call upon His name and make known His deeds among the people. And there are times that for the glory of God, the building up of the body, and your own faith, that you have to say, Okay, I'm acknowledging that God is speaking to me and I want to receive the prophetic light, the light of Jesus that he may want to bring. So I'm just going to ask for those of you who really sense that you're supposed to stand, to stand right now, and we want to pray and do spiritual warfare with you. I want you guys to look around the people who are standing. And we want to commit in our hearts to you that we want to stand with you in this and help you draw back the curtains until light has filled the whole house. That this isn't something you just do alone. And that we believe that in these prophetic moments that moments like these really matter in, in, in the, the, this, the course of your life. And so for those of you who, haven't, who aren't standing right now, literally want everybody filled with faith to find someone standing and just put your hands on them. So I don't want anybody standing alone. Gather around those standing. And if people that are standing are next to each other, hey, stand together in the light. And we just want to right now begin to pray for the light of God over the darkness. And so, Father, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, we begin to call out those things which are dark. Depression, oppression, demonization, hopelessness and despair, discontentment, sin, lust, pride, anger, lostness, loneliness, unforgiveness, bitterness, and all those things which would separate you from the light of God, harm done to you in the past, things that you have done in the past, accusations, condemnations. In the name of Jesus, we open the curtains and say, light of Jesus, come into the house, into the darkened rooms, Lord. And right now, if you have stood to acknowledge your need for stepping forward into light and, and opening up the dark places in your heart and opening up the windows of your heart, I just want you right now just, just to begin to call out the name of those things which need to go. Right now, just make it, make it known. You don't have to be specific, but if you just have a name for it, despair, loneliness, past hurts, just go ahead right now, just call it out. Wherever the darkness is, let's be brave. Let's believe for healing and wholeness.
And Lord, we do believe that you know, you've heard, and that you're going to begin to flood lives with light right now. Lord, I would just pray for, in a way only you can, for a miraculous moment of just light to begin to flood people right now. That, that the Spirit of the living God, that you would just begin to flood people with light where there has been darkness. That, that we would sense Zoe life coming into this this room, God, that, that into to these houses, these vessels, these men and women who love you, who have been held back, Father, we are going to stand with them until totally vic- total victory is had. And we say, as we were taught to, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. We say, as James told us to say, we resist the devil and he must flee. We say, as the scriptures say, our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour, whom you should resist steadfast in the faith. We declare Advent light. We declare the coming Christ. We declare the one who overcomes all darkness. And so we pray, as just was spoken out loud, victory in Jesus' name over all things that would raise up against the name and the beauty of Jesus in full experience in our lives. So right now, Father, we are praying further into the battle. We believe that you're on the move. And we, don't, we do not want to rest until we have seen total victory in the camp. And we are tired of being a defeated church. We're tired of de- being a defeated people because we believe that there's more for us to be and do. But until we have been healed in, we will not be effective out. And so I pray that our mission would be informed by our eter- internal healing in this community that we would then be able to rise up as those who are in full light and health for the glory of God. So brothers and sisters who have acknowledged your need, receive the life and the light of Jesus Christ. May he make you joyful. May he make your heart glad right now. May you feel abundant in the spirit, full, overflowing, rich, blessed, healed, whole, loved, embraced, Father, for those of us who are standing next to people who are trying to stand in the light, give us a heart to stand with them until they have received all the light that you intend for them to, until there are no dark places. And we believe and trust that you are going to give this light. And God, that this would be the best Christmas reception of Jesus that we have known in many years that this would really be let every heart receive her king. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so now this is where rubber meets the road. We've got to stand next to these brothers and sisters and be those that are walking with them. 
So I've got a few people that were on text threads together, and they are speaking to me regularly about their fight in the light, pushing aside the deeds of darkness and stepping further, further into light. We need to learn to tell our stories. We want to stand with you and not let you drop. We need, we need to come around you and help carry you and walk with you and get updates on you. So, so commit to somebody around you. And then as the good stories begin to be told and you begin to receive light and you begin to see full illumination, we want to hear about your process and the fight and we want to hear about the victories and the losses. Don't be afraid to share some losses because we have had people here that started in victory and then hit some resistance. I mean, you start pushing back, you're going to get pushed back. We had one particular young lady, and maybe one day she'll tell her story. She started to push back and it got intense. And as she pushed back, it got worse before it got better. But as my wife and I have stood with her, just watching and observing and praying with her, we've actually seen her push through all the way to what we believe is total victory total victory. But it didn't happen like that. Sometimes it does. But it's okay for you to acknowledge, I'm still fighting this darkness. Because that, you know what that does? That says, okay, we're not going to quit. We're going to be stubborn, relentless fighters, not passive, getting taken advantage of, living in the dark house anymore. We're going to start saying, we got to be aggressively involved and engaged in the war until we see the fight won. Amen? Are we committed to that, brothers and sisters? Let us commit to each other. Let us commit to the glory of God, right? This is the time. Amen. Amen. That we say to God be the glory.